0: to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com Well, we've been looking at this series, haven't we? Now, faith is. Where does that come from? Do you remember? Hebrews, Hebrews chapter? Hebrews. Oh, you clever lot. All right, today I'm going to teach a message that was never taught in Bible times. And uh, we're looking at the word faith, and some. This is something that every. Thanks, Mark. This is something that everyone knew, so nobody needed to explain. But in our language, because our because no words are ever quite the same in a different language. In our language, we need to explain it because it's something that I didn't understand until I grew up, and it's something that I've never heard anyone else say. In fact, I've never heard anyone say. Oh yes, I have. Me. I'm the only person I've ever heard say this. I have said it before. This isn't the first time. All right. What we're going to look at is, uh, but first we're going to do some, some language study. Okay. If we look at a word like love, first the thing I'm going to say to you, do you know what a noun is? Now, this is real brainy stuff. You, come on, Dante, what's a noun? Yeah, come on, Elijah? A person, place, or thing? My goodness. It, yeah, that's right. Especially a thing, all right? Now, is, is love a person, place, or a thing? It is. It's a thing, isn't it? A thing called, a crazy little thing called love. Give me some love. All right, love is a thing, all right? It's a thing. You're right about that. And so when we take that noun, that thing, we can make it into an adjective. Now, what's an adjective? Who's going to tell me that one? Come on, then. A describing word. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing word. Dis- oh, your secondary school describes what? <laughs> um a noun. Thank you. Yes, I expect a very full answer from someone your age. Okay, so uh, uh, can we have the next slide? Oh, we've got it. We've got it. All right, so what's happened here is we've gone from the noun, love, to the describing word, loving. So, So from give me some love to my granddaughter is a very loving girl. You got that? You with me? This is like school, Mr. Welsh. My brain is smoking. Okay, let's look at the next slide. See, the, the word shy, we could say this girl is a shy girl. Is that a noun? Shy, is it a noun or an adjective? It's an adjective because it describes the girl. Now, don't put it up till they say it, please. What? How could you make that word shy into a thing, a noun? Shy as. <laughs> this girl has, she has a problem with what? Shyness. Thank you. Could you put that up? Aha, you see? So we use that ness. Do you see what's happens? Ness on the end be- makes that... Adjective into a noun. Are you with me? Happy becomes happiness. Sad becomes sadness. Shy becomes shyness. And grumpy becomes grumpiness. All right. Because we put nes on the end. And when you see that word ending with ness, it's usually a noun. Made out of an adjective. Let's have a look at the next slide. Today's word is faithful. All right. Is that a noun or is it an adjective? Does it describe something or is it a thing? Is there a thing called faithful? Does it describe something? Can a person be faithful? Then it's an adjective, isn't it? Alright? It's an adjective. Ho ho. te kupu motera. Faithful, all right? Faithful. And if you wanted to uh, we could use the word pōno, we could use the word tūturu. What animal do we think of as being faithful? What's that? I, I heard I heard a horse? A elephant. D- dog, elephant, you know, glad someone said elephant. You read my sermon notes. Ha ha, she did. I saw her sneaking them. Let's have a look at the next slide. All right. One of the animals that's most famous for being faithful is called Horton. Have you seen? Do you know? Have you seen Horton Hatches the Egg? Thank goodness. Who hasn't? You haven't even lived. Can you even call yourself a Christian? My goodness. All right. Okay. Horton Hatches the Egg. How, who have, does, is this book still around? Do you, do you know this, Sally? Yeah no no yeah no, my goodness! Daniel, do you know this book? <sighs> All right, I have to tell you the story. In a, in a nutshell, it's like this: Horton gets conned by a ditzy bird called Maisie. She lays an egg in the nest, but she doesn't feel like sitting on this thing till it hatches. So she cons passing Horton into saying, "Horton, will you sit on my nest, please? I'm going away on my vacation, and you can stay on the the egg." You see, so Horton does does he gets on the nest, sits on the egg, and. Uh, Maisie doesn't come back from her vacation. She likes it in Florida. And as time goes on, next slide, please, uh, it it gets cold, Horton freezes, but he does not leave the egg. Why not? He's faithful, all right? He says, I said what I, I know I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Some people know it, thank goodness. I'm not dealing with a totally illiterate crowd. Okay, so... So what, what happens is, oh, hang on, whoops, we jumped, that's, that's oh yeah, there we are. So, so another thing that happens is these, these hunters uh, come along and they, they're hunting elephants, but when they see Horton sitting on this nest, it was so fascinating, they dig the whole thing up, as only Dr. Seuss can do, and take the whole caboodle on a ship across to America, put him in our, next slide, circus, and people pay to come and see this amazing elephant sitting on the egg, you see. But it's all summed up, next slide please, in those words, I meant what I said, And I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Now, faithful is a Bible word. Next slide, please. The word is pistos, and it means faithful or steady. It happens, this word comes up 49 times in the New Testament. It's often spoken by Jesus. You will recognize it. Jesus says, who then is a faithful and wise steward? Who's ever heard that? Yeah, see? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's pistos. Uh, Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. That's a pretty good reward, isn't it? This is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance. Hey, so even a saying can be faithful. Yeah? Got that? Pistos. All right. And the Lord is faithful. Does the Lord have to have faith? Really? Didn't we say faith is, is you know believing things you don't see, but God sees everything. But there's still a side to faith that God has, and that God's faith is his faithfulness. We even have a song about it. What's it called? Great is thy faithfulness. And in modern English it would say, great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. You do not change. Your compassions do not fail as you have been. You forever will be. Great is your faithfulness, Lord unto me. So we, we know that God's faithfulness is something we can rely on. Now is faithful pistos, is that a noun or an adjective? Who says noun? Who says adjective? Oh, you chicken lot. You two you gotta, you gotta get right, aren't you? It's an adjective, it describes something, all right? Lee is a faithful man, it describes the thing, which is Lee. Lee is the thing, all right. So here, now, I'm, what I'm asking you to do now is to make this shift. What's the noun for faithful? What is the noun for faithfulness? Any other advance on faithfulness? What, yes? Faithfulness? Yes? Any, anything else? Hmm? Faithfulness? And you're both right. See, the noun that goes with faithful is faith, and it's faithfulness. And it's only in English that it's a different word. This is why I said that in Bible times they never needed to explain what I'm going to tell you today because it was built right into the word. This word pistos means faith. Well, actually, sorry, this word pistos, which is very closely related, it means faithful and steady. And then, sorry, I'm reading it wrong, aren't I? The word pistos, which we talked about, means faithful or steady, but its cousin, its related word, the noun pistos means faith or faithfulness or steadfastness. So what I want to tell you is that every time you read in the Bible that someone had faith, you have this idea of what that meant. And it, it's a good uh, it's a good thing what you're thinking, but in the Bible, faith and faithfulness are the same. I got kicked out of a church for saying this, so I'll try it out today. Seriously, I did. It's not the same thing at all. You're banned from coming back here again. Serious. In the Bible, faith and faithfulness are the same thing. Horton was an elephant of faith. Bernice, where's Bernice? Bernice is a cleaner of faith because she keeps coming back and cleaning up after you lot, I mean us lot. She keeps turning up. Janet is a mainly music woman of faith because she keeps coming along. She's been doing it for 23 years. That is faith. It's not the whole story of faith. We've had other messages on faith, and they are right but it's one side of faith which is important to us. It makes a difference to me, too, and I'll tell you later. Murray and Jenny are pastors of faith. They've been doing this for 40 years. Some of the circumstances and the emphases have changed, but the nub of it, the middle of the hub of what they're doing, has not changed in 40 years, and I've been privileged to know them for most of that. They're pastors of faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We've studied that over the last week or two, and we thought a lot about faith being a guiding vision, a strong belief in something we can't see yet, a strong force which can bring about miracles. But today's focus is this. Faith is faithfulness, hanging in there and keeping on going. Is this meaning totally different to what we've been looking at before? Not really, is it? It's closely tied in. You see, Horton stayed on that egg, but he had a vision too. He believed if he hung in there, something good was happen. That's why he stayed. He wasn't exactly sure what would happen, and we're not quite sure what's going to happen either. But in the end, something wonderful did happen for Horton. He was rewarded for his faithfulness. Now, if you know, don't tell. You're going to have to tell. Look, read the book and find out for yourself, all right? I, was, I wrote in my notes, tell Mum and dad afterwards, but that's no use to you lot because you don't know it. All right. So oh, <laughs> you could tell your dad, call. All right. Now, let's, let's have a look at the next slide. This is from Hebrews 11. I'm going back to the scriptures that were read to us last week. Hebrews 11, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, when I read the story of Enoch, I don't see much flash happening in his life. But the good thing that happened with Enoch was he walked with God for 365 years. He just kept going because that's what faith is. That's a big chunk of faith. You see, we might use the word faithfulness, but it's faith. The Bible says faith. You see, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. Enoch was faithful 100%. In verse 7 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in godly fear, built an ark to save his family. Years of work. I mean, we hear the story, so he built an ark, and then then, come on animals, it wasn't like that. How long does it take to build an ark? No power tools. All right? Just to make a plank with an adze is a big job. Just to chop the tree down with an axe is a big job. And then you have to make the planks and you have to form it. Had they made a boat before? Nope. But it was learn as you go. So I want you to realize that Noah's commitment to build this ark was huge and ongoing. It took years. And people razzed him the whole time. What are you doing, you idiot? He's trying to say, God's told us what's coming. He had a vision, all right? But uh, people wouldn't share it. You see, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. Noah was faithful 100%. In verse 8, which is the next slide, in, in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want to tell you that Abraham would have spent his whole life Missing much about what he had come from, his original home. He was a townie. He was a city boy. And cities were comfortable and secure. And you could get all the things you wanted at the shop. And God called him to leave all that and live in a tent in the desert. And when he did go near cities, it often seemed to lead to trouble in Abraham's case. Threats were made against Abraham. Stubbornness. He sometimes didn't get it right because sometimes even Abraham's faith in God wavered and he tried to do things his own way and he was dishonest on occasions. He got caught out on occasions. He did things on occasion that did not honor God. But Abraham went on for 175 years. You see, a big chunk of Abraham's faith was what we in English would call faithfulness. You see... He's, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Abraham was faithful, about 97%, which is probably better than most of us. All right, let me say it again. Faith is faithfulness, and faithfulness is faith. What difference could that make to your life? I'm going to tell you today of two applications, things which I've noticed, and you can listen to them and see what you think about them yourself. You getting this all right, Daniel? Yeah? Cool. All right. Here's the first one. When I was a young man, a young Christian, I hung with Pentecostals, and I saw amazing things happen, which I will never forget, and I'm glad I saw them. I saw people stand up and proclaim in a loud voice, Thus saith the Lord, and they would say a message straight from God. Whoa, I could never do that. I saw people pray very loudly in tongues, and people were healed of all sorts of things. I can remember standing there while somebody prayed loudly in tongues, and this person there sat with a short leg and a long leg, and the short leg just goes, while we watched, till they the same length. Would you forget that if you'd seen it? I didn't forget that. That was amazing, wasn't it? We'd be worshipping the Lord, and demons would begin to manifest. Somebody would start to behave in the most extraordinary way because they had an evil spirit in them. And the evil spirit would be dealt with and cast out. And the person would would feel clean and free for the first time. Those were exciting times, weren't they? But I used to look on that and go, I'm glad I'm here, but this is not me. I haven't got that kind of faith. I'm just ploddy old Jeremy, you know, these very charismatic people around me. I'm not like that. You know what? I wasn't. I'm not. I remember it, but I wasn't like that. So as I went through my life as a young man, I used to think to myself, I guess I just haven't got the same kind of faith as that. You know, like these people are kind of real spiritual people, and I'm just bloody old Jeremy. Now one day, a man said to me this. He said, you know, I think I'm a Christian, but not like you and Brian. That's what he said to me. Do you notice just as we... Do you know how we sometimes compare ourselves to others? That's what the man said. I think I'm a Christian, but not like you and Brian. Now, what he didn't know was that Jeremy and Brian look around and go, well, we think we're Christians too, but we're, we're not that flash. All right, Because Brian and Jeremy were just plotters, to be honest. Am I right? Brian was a great man of God. But he wasn't flash and charismatic in that sense. Brian and Jeremy just kind of get on with it. But I'll tell you something, that man is actually sitting in here today, the man who said that to me. Now, as I uh, uh, I looked at that man's life, I used to go around and see him sometimes in his, at his house. And one th- I noticed a number of things. This man, Barry, it's you. Barry, this is you. You've inspired me. This man used to look after his wife and children with great beauty. And his neighbors knew that if they needed a hand, they could come around and see Barry and get some help. And so... This man, Barry, who, who said that, Barry, you inspired me as a younger man. Barry Doddsley, that's you. You inspired me as a Christian when I was young because I looked at the way you lived and I looked at the way you related to your neighbours and how you spread kindness where you were. And as a young man, I looked up to you and I'll publicly honour you today, Barry, as a hero of the faith for me. Thank you. Thank you for what you put into my life. You see, if you look at other people, you're going to go, oh, I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that. And maybe you couldn't. But as I got older, I realized the key part of faith is just to keep going. And I can do that. I trained as a teacher. I'm a bit slow, so it took me five years. And I graduated, I come out, and I start teaching. And my first job was at Pa Remo Remo School. It was tough. I did not want to go there, but in those days, the government told you where you had to go. So I went to the school. Oh boy, here I am. It was tough. The kids were tough. The society was pretty dysfunctional. And the school was very small, so the principal had a class of his own full time and couldn't really give me the kind of training and support that you'd hope a beginning teacher would have. As a result, I used to. As I came over the hill to Roma Village every morning on my motorbike, I'd look down and i kind of have this sense of dread, another day of this. Uh. And I heard news that the people I'd trained with, person after person after person, who's put years into training as a teacher, started to do it and they just found it too tough. They dropped out. Now, what did I do right as a teacher? Probably not much, but I got one thing right. Do you know what it was? I kept going. I saw the year out. We got to the end of the year, and it was government policy then that if you, you do your first year in one school, then you have to move to another. And I went to a tough place in, in Otara, which was known. Somebody said, oh, Flatbush is like the Remo era of Otara. and, and, and Clyde Moore is more like the Otara of Otara. That's where I was. I had a, a room that had been condemned with holes in the walls, and a, you know, a class that was crazy. I didn't like it. But in the third year of teaching, I started to fall in love with it. I tell you, being a teacher has brought me years and years, a lifetime of joy, only because I kept going. And so that was a bit of stickability, wasn't it? I had a bit of Horton in me. I hung in there. But I want to tell you, when I met Murray Henderson, Murray Hamble Henderson, looking at this man's life, took my commitment and my stickability up another level. I used to... um, When I was thinking of quitting, I'd look at my little bracelet that said, what would Murray do? No, Murray wouldn't quit. (laughs) Murray wouldn't quit. He'd keep going here. And Murray, thanks to Murray, if you asked me what's the one biggest effect that knowing Murray has had on your life, it would be that. I do think I carry on with things which before I would have quit. Murray has a saying. I remember him saying this. He says, so many people quit. Just before things were going to come right. Have you ever heard Murray say that? Murray, have you ever heard yourself say that? Yeah. Now, I don't know how you can work that out, but, but you can see the, you can see the point, can't you? Somebody goes, oh, this is just too hard, I give up. And you think, no, come on, come on. You could make it. Murray used to say people want to be a farmer and uh, by by late winter, you know, there's mud and it's cold and there's calves and blah blah. And Murray knows that if they could just hang on another six weeks, the springtime will come and the sun will shine and there'll be little lammies running around, you know. And, and so Murray knows that it's just that what, late or is it sort of August to September, is it? If we could mm, what's that? August till the end of September, because Murray knows as a farmer, if you can jolly those young farmers through that bit, they'll start to capture the joy again. And uh, so don't quit. And what happened now? This is me. This is all very personal for me, right? So what happens now is, interestingly, my eyes sort of pop. I go, wow, because I look back, say, over the last two weeks, I see so many of the things that I thought could never happen to me. I've seen amazing healings. I've seen amazing restorations. People in despair, people's homes saved, people whose power was imminent to go off, people, grown men, who have broke down and cried as they told me about their life, and then they've been restored and radiant as I've prayed for them. I've seen all these things, which is, but it's not like when I was a kid, because I'm not like that. I'm just not. So I hear about these heartbreaking needs and I scurry into this room on Thursday night and I tell my mates about it and we just get and pray there, you see? And, and then I, I leave my phone on in prayer meeting. I don't know if that's naughty, but sometimes while we're praying, a text comes up. Our prayer was answered a thousand kilometers away while we prayed. You must be praying for me. Yeah, we are. Now, that's not like what I saw when I was a kid. But what I want to tell you is that what changed in me, because I used to go, oh, I couldn't do anything like that. What changed in me? Nothing much. I just kept going. And I don't know if it's something to do with age, because when you get older, you really don't care much what people think of you, do you? I mean, to be honest, when I was young, I didn't care much anyway. Now I care even less. (laughs) Poor Murray used to despair. Jeremy, people are like, oh, who cares, Murray? (laughs) That's when I was about 35. All right. So I read an article in a magazine, and and this boy said, he said, uh, you still with me, Daniel? You still there? He says, says, in our boys' school, we got a message. We're going to have a most famous and important speaker. We're going to come. Next slide, please. This man is one of the greatest speakers in the world today, and he's going to come along, and he's going to inspire us with a speech and assembly. Boys. Everybody has to bring a notepad along and a pen because this man will make a fine speech and I want you all to take notes. You would, wouldn't you? Who is this guy? Winston Churchill. Anyway, this boy wrote, Sir Winston Churchill, that's right. So anyway, this boy, in the article I read, he said, so all along we went, you know, a thousand boys or whatever in this big hall with their notepads ready to hear the famous Winston Churchill. And he was introduced and he got up and this is what he said, never give up. Never, never give up. Never, never, never give up. And he sat down and they all clapped. (laughs) I wonder how many petrol vouchers they gave him for that. Well, but that's what he wanted to say. All right? That's what he wanted to say. The second application I want to make today, and it's my last one is to marriage. I just told you a bit about me. The second part is about marriage. You know, if you know me, that I read all sorts of studies because I'm interested in how people work and I'm interested in science, all sorts of things. And one study I read stuck with me. I haven't got it on paper, but I remember it quite clearly. What happened was they went to a whole lot of people who were married and they said, how is your marriage? If it's a really good marriage, give it a seven. And if it's a really awful marriage, give it a one. So that's what happened. These people go, oh, my marriage is really good, seven, three, six, five, four. And what they did was they took note of what everybody said, and then they waited seven years, and then they went back and talked to them again. Now, as you'd expect, some of the people who gave their marriage a one had split up. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? But all the ones who are still together, and here comes the kicker, all right, everybody in that survey who was still together, they went to the one marriages and said, how's it going now? They said seven. Great. Great. We're loving it. So then they, the, the people who took the server, they say, well, so what happened? How do you go from a one stink marriage to a seven super-duper marriage? How do you do that? What do you do? And you know what? They look to see what the people had done. Do you know what they'd done? You, you know, don't you? They kept going. They'd stayed together. They'd stayed together and they never gave up. Now listen very carefully to what I'm going to say next. Never. Never in this church, no one here will ever tell you to stay in a situation of abuse. Never. If you're in an abusive situation, if things aren't safe for you, we we don't want you to stay. What I just talked about a minute ago was not that. Everybody on the leadership would, would agree with me on this. For your sake, for your children's sake, and even for your partner's sake, do what it takes to become safe. Ask for some help go to women's refuge, talk to somebody in the church, do what it takes. I wasn't talking about that with my little talk on marriage. But my mum, Pauline, said this. She said, this is 40 years ago, she said, there'll be many sad and lonely old people in the future. People let go of marriage so easily. She said, my parents went through a time in their 40s where their marriage wasn't good, they didn't get along very well, but in those days, you couldn't just quit. You were expected to stay together. You couldn't get divorced. So they stuck together, and now, she said, now they're in their 80s. What great mates they are. How lovely it is that they stayed together. Now, lots of people give up on marriage just because it's hard. Well, of course it's hard. Or because it's boring. of course it's boring. Everything's boring sometimes. Or people give up on marriage just because they're incompatible. of course you're incompatible. Of course. You come from different families. You do things different ways. Duh. All right? Now... I remember my words to a couple who got married a year, a few, a while back. And this is what I said to them. After the wedding, I said this. I said, let me tell you something. I've heard it said that within two years after you got married, after anybody gets married, maybe one week, maybe one year, maybe two years, but within two years, you will come to the realization that you married the wrong person. To which the young married couple go, oh, Hmm, thanks, I guess. Hmm, by goodness, that's a funny thing to say, isn't it? But that's what I felt I should say to them at the time. I didn't make it up. It's something I'd heard. Now, what happened with this couple, things got very difficult. It wasn't a good marriage. There were all sorts of terrible things happened. The the man left. there, There were all kinds of strange sort of sexual stuff that hadn't been sorted out. It was obvious that in this case that marriage was a goner, all right? It was just too bad. But the young woman concerned hung in there. She got support. She made some rules. She's pretty special, actually. And after a while, the man realized that he was missing her and he was missing out on something good. And he wanted to get back together, so she made some rules. We can But only after the most strict conditions, she set some rules in place. She got some help. And strange to say, that marriage began to rebuild. And nowadays, they're getting on. They're back together. Problem solved? Of course not. They never are, are they? But they're doing it. They're hanging in there because they know, like Horton and like Noah and like Abraham, There's something wonderful at the end if we don't give up. Can you put the next slide up? Oh, yeah. So that's what it says. This is what this says. Murray read it out before, but I'd like everyone to read it. Could you do that? So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, Daniel Dante, um, Elijah and Ali, do you know what it means to reap a harvest? Not sure? I thought I'd better explain that. And then we're going to say it again. When you reap, this is what it means. When you plant stuff in the garden, you put seeds in, then the seeds grow. Reaping the harvest means you go back and you get the things you planted. This is a story about your life. And what it says is, as you go through your life, putting in good seeds, doing good things, there will be a time, we don't know when, but at just the right time, things will start to come right. And you will realize that all the good seeds that you sowed do reap a harvest or give you something lovely back into your life. Have you got that? So let's read it again, eh? Now all the kids know what it means. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And let's just finish off by reading what what the good man said. Let's read it together. Never, never, never give up. Well, there you go, everyone. If you, if you weren't into too good at the flash faith, try the plotty stuff like us. It works. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.